0: Welcome. You're listening to selected clips from the 988 and Crisis System Reform playlist of the podcast, Unapologetically Black Unicorns. I'm the podcast host, Karis Myrick. Sit back, listen, learn,
1: and lead. Dr. Miriam Delphin-Rittman.
0: The goal has been to ensure that if people are struggling, and they call 988 that they're able to reach a trained, compassionate counselor who will connect them, you know, if necessary to services and supports. And, and so that ultimately is the goal. I love seeing some of the, you know, research about um, how people are helped by the suicide prevention, crisis and suicide prevention lifeline that, you know, sometimes a person just needs somebody to talk to. Yeah, I you know they just need that listening ear and that's yeah. such a large percentage of the calls. I think it's almost about 80%. I'm right. It could be like Yeah, 80%. it's right around 90%. Like a lot oh, okay. of times people don't need additional mobile crisis or to go to a stabilization center. Um sometimes yeah. just having someone to talk with, to hear them yeah. and hold what they're experiencing in that moment um yeah. helps the person sort of get through that crisis that they're experiencing.
1: Dr. John Draper. What is the kind of person a a, a mobile crisis team would see? The kind of person is a person that has severe psychiatric symptoms, having, you know, under great psychological distress in ways that that are so impairing their functioning that they're unable or unwilling to go get care on their own, so care must go to them. So people who couldn't get out of bed because they were too depressed, people who were psychotic and they could not organize themselves to go to a clinic, how could we expect them to show up at 9 a.m. on Tuesday to see a provider when they were in this kind of state? And they and their family members were in such distress. And so when we would come in, um, just in these unmarked vans, the sense of desperation and distress. And again, we would go into every kind of home, every kind of home, people with a lot of money, people with no money, people in housing projects, people in penthouses, people in, in uh Jewish Orthodox community to uh, a Muslim community, I mean, everything. And essentially the distress, the problems, while they looked a little bit different, were mostly the same. And the ways in which we were able to work with them and their families in a place where they felt safe, that they were in control, they weren't in my office. I was in their office, and because they felt in control, they felt safe, and I was also in their world. So, all of the things that I was learning about them—from the people in their lives to the ways in which they they were decorating their home or not—that kind of information, you know, who's that person on the wall? Tell me who they are in your life. I, I learned more about a person in an hour's visit on a mobile crisis team that I would in the office after six months of seeing them. Mm-hmm. And I was a therapist too, so I knew that. And I said, this is the way it needs to be. You know, when I first heard about this three-digit number as an idea, I did talk with my daughter about it. Um, who, Since she knew more than I did at 18, I asked her, what, what, what do you think about this three-digit number? And she said, I think it's gonna do more than anything else we could do to eliminate the stigma against mental illness in this country and i said well why do you think that and she said well we have a three-digit number for medical emergencies and if if we had a three-digit number for psychological emergencies everyone would know that they're real and that they require a very different response than sending cops to your door and i i do think about that as you know Grandkids and grandkids, grandkids, looking back on like really, there was a day when you used to send cops to people's home when they were thinking about suicide. Really, that's what they did back then. I want there to be an incredulous, unbelievable response like that couldn't have happened because it is a primitive and ridiculous response. Uh, But it is it 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 has lasted too long, and this is it. I mean, basically, hope has a new number now and it's this three-digit number that is going to be a lot easier for people to remember and dial when they are in their darkest moments on their worst days. Tiffany Russell.
2: 988 um, is a new number that was launched on July 16th of this year and essentially what it did was give a three-digit easy-to-remember number for the National Suicide Prevention and Crisis Hotline that's been in place for a very, very long time that had a 1-800 number that most people couldn't remember. And so we wanted to, just in the same way that most people knew about 911, that's the place you call for emergencies, wanted to have an easy remember three-digit number that people can not only call, they can text, and they also have the ability to chat and have someone that they can talk to whenever they're in a behavioral health, mental health, substance use crisis. We've seen an 80% increase in the texting to the crisis line. And we've also found that a lot of the individuals that are doing the texting and chatting particularly are under the age of 25. And so there has been just a surge in this under 25 population making contact and reaching out. If you look at the ability for texting in August of 2021, we were at about 3,400. In August of 2022, we are at 39,000 texts wow. that w- have been answered. Mm-hmm. That's over a 1,000% increase.
1: Dr. Sherry
3: Turner. 70% of our textures are 24 or younger. So we're really, as you can imagine, with a text, purely text modality, we are reaching Millennials and Gen Zs, these digital natives, right, who aren't as interested in talking about what's going on by phone, they are much more adept at texting and interested in texting. So we found in 2021 that actually 44% of our texters were 17 or younger and 13% were 13 or younger, 13 years old or younger. And then 46% of our texters are BIPOC and 53% of our texters identified as LGBTQ+. So we are, you know, when you look at access and communities that are dealing with mental health disparities, and issues of getting help to those communities were actually able to reach them at greater rates and with greater impact.
1: Santiwa Boykin.
0: You know, when you talk about this, I always get like a little goosebumps because of you know my own personal experience and interaction initially with the police and having no idea that when I was struggling and I was told well, we're gonna have to call somebody to help you. We're gonna have to dial 911. In my head, I heard, what I heard was, oh, you're dialing 911 because I've come to understand from the public view and even the providers, a mental health condition is like any other physical health condition. So when I hear that I'm in a medical emergency caused by psychological distress, I think an ambulance is coming. And that's not what showed up. Not <laughs> what happened. And um, right. And so so my expectation was sort of dashed to begin with. And then when the police were at my door, I was kind of like, I'm a black person in an all-white building, and the police were at my door, you know, saying welfare check and talking really loudly and saying they're the police. And I have visions of kind of, you know, police with dogs from the 1960s because I'm a 1960s baby and it all didn't work for me in my head and it didn't work for me in my own psychological state either so I don't know that many folks think of it this way that you know it's feeding into possibly the fears and experiences people are already having that Mm -hmm. then get exacerbated if they have a cultural or a LGBTQ lens with all of this stuff as well so it just Mm -hmm. takes it from Having distress to adding more trauma to this distress somebody's already having. And then, you know, no autonomy in the situation, you can't get out of it. It's just this like multiple cumulative mess. We have folks that call us like once a week, right? And we sit and we chit chat. And I can only imagine how many times we've prevented those kind of folks from having to be hospitalized, right? Mm -hmm. Because maybe the real issue is loneliness. Right, Right. you know, prolonged feelings of loneliness can then cause feelings of hopelessness or suicidal ideation, right? And unfortunately, that is a really hard thing to quantify, right, Mm -hmm. to put into the the data envelope and send off to the powers that be to say, see, this works.
1: Zay Okoronta.
0: Define a little bit about what happens sort of in a respite, or your respite in particular.
4: Yeah, I I think my favorite thing about the people that come in is they all come by a variety of so many ways. I see the respite as almost a path of waymaking for people. It's this kind of self-navigation process I see that comes together so artfully. You know, some people come in because they were told to call here because some place was full. Some folks truly do just want a place to go because they are struggling with housing and that turns into a, a very different conversation with some people when they're opened up to what we perhaps can offer and and they don't know that human connection is even available to them. They didn't know that would come with shelter and and that makes it even more rich for us. Because some respites don't take folks who don't have housing. We get folks who are fleeing dangerous situations, domestic violence. Mm -hmm. We get people that come because they know this is a sanctuary. They know that the only real hard line here is, you know, don't call the police on anyone. Um, that is kind of a a Mm no-brainer. We get people that come because they're looking for peace and they're looking for choice. And some people have so many different reasons for showing up. But what I I noticed the common thread really is, is people want to be listened to. They want to be embraced. They want to be accepted. They want to be able to come as they are. Um, So when someone comes in for a respite, you know, it's, we just sit and have coffee. Sometimes we sit on the couch, you know, we're not rushing to do the paperwork. We are not putting them in a computer registry system. It's, you know, hey, how are you doing? It's, it's a normal conversation. It's like any other human being, I would agree, as if they walked over my door sill in, into my own home, into my own community.
1: Ton Hall.
5: I really appreciate it and um, giving me the opportunity to talk about what happened to our family and what happened to my beautiful son, Miles um, Hall who was um, killed by the police on June 2nd, 2019, while experiencing a mental health emergency. Mm -hmm. So we basically now have been thrusted into advocacy to make sure that there's changes in the way that um, people with mental health emergencies are treated and we really wanna make sure we remove the police from that encounter because some of the things about Miles is just, he was just so beautiful and so kind and thoughtful and caring. And he lived with mental illness, and he lived with mental illness when he was a younger person. And um, it's been a challenge for him, and it's been a challenge for us to to try to support him during his journey throughout his younger days, um, throughout his older days and young adult days. So we are, we are now just trying to kind of maneuver life without him. If we just had someone to call mm-hmm. someone to understand his as a peer mm-hmm. to be there with him to help him and support him
0: mm-hmm.
5: which was what i was trying to do and trying to find but there was no resources because he was 18 and he didn't he was he didn't understand it was sick so not you know some some people who are having a mental health episode or crisis are going to be able to get support because they understand they're ill mm-hmm. but the danger is when you don't understand you're ill mental illness isn't a crime you know, we're taking out the criminalization,
4: mm-hmm.
5: we're taking out the possibility of going to jail. We should have never even had to go to the point where he said, oh, we're using the police as a vehicle to get him help. No, yeah. that's dangerous.